Welcome, welcome. Uh, this is the 65th episode here of the Phoenix Suns podcast here, the BS of the Suns podcast on Bright Side of the Sun. Uh, coming at you after a little bit of a break. I mean, August is August, so we didn't have a lot of podcasts going on there, but we have some news. Uh, today, you're listening to this you know, probably here on Thursday morning, but today the Phoenix Suns signed Eric Bledsoe, so we figured we'll bring the crew back together. And Dave King and I talked to uh, Amin the Dream, ESPN's Amin El Hassan, seeing if he can jump on the show and talk to us. And and we're going to go ahead and talk some Phoenix Suns, some Eric Bledsoe. Dave, I would imagine that you're fairly excited. And uh, we finally have the last leg of summer drop. And now we're heading into training camp with a full roster. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I've, uh, I have expected that the Suns were going to re-sign Eric Bledsoe all summer. It did get a little hairy there for a little while. as uh, Rumors were floated that he was just going to be signing the qualifying offer. I did always expect that to be just a ruse, though, because of his injury history and wanting some security. Um, but I wasn't exactly expecting the full five years to be agreed upon. I thought the Suns would stick with the four years. So, uh, I mean, I'd like to get your opinion on uh, on going a full five years with Eric Bledsoe, who had missed parts of two of the last three seasons with knee injuries. Uh, well, you know, the first thing I would say about this deal is it was uh, it was a, uh, a win-win, but I use the word win very loosely for both sides. For Bledsoe and, and for his representation, it was a win because on paper, uh, it looks nice, right? We wanted five years 80. We got five years 70, you know, whereas the Suns won 448. So it looks like the Suns moved way more across the aisle than Bledsoe and his camp did. So in that PR sense, yes, they won. But if you look at it, you say you're getting $14 million a year, and you're locked in for five years. The salary cap is going to continue to go up. Uh, he, probably the best scenario for him would have been taking a four-year deal with an opt-out on the fourth year. And regardless of what yearly annual sum it was, whether it was 12, 13, 14, whatever it was, he, he would have been better suited to be able to opt out when the new TV deal comes in, when cap is much higher, and when he's got enough years of experience to go to the highest uh, tax bracket, so to speak, of players uh, getting uh, you know the next level of max money. So he really left a lot of money on the table. And in a few years, he's probably going to, like I said on Twitter tonight, years four and five of his deal, he's going to be looking around the league and like, man, I wish I had tied myself into this. Now, to answer your question about the injury history, I keep going back to this. You know, people make a big deal about him injuring the same knee twice, but if you look at it, he's missed roughly 90 days out of his career due to the knee injury. Uh, so, everything, every other time he's missed due to injuries, and other knickknack stuff, roll, ankle, tendonitis, things like that. The actual knee injury uh, that he suffered when he was reading with the Clippers and then re-aggravated with the Suns, 90 days out of his entire playing career. So he's not as big an injury risk as it seems, as it sounds. You know, when you hear, oh, he's been out so many games uh, with a knee injury. And then, obviously, whenever you talk about the Phoenix Suns and someone who's got any sort of medical issue, you, you still have to mention the training staff. This is a staff that if, if he's conscientious and works hard and does what they ask him to do, They'll be fine. And, and knowing that, knowing that the Suns do involve Aaron Nelson and their staff handling these kind of decisions, he would have never extended a five-year deal if Aaron Nelson called him not to uh, 
Dr. Carter told him, look, this guy's going to fall apart in the next three. Uh, because I've been in that room when they've said that about God. Uh, the guy's in the draft, or the guy's in the creation, so this knee will not hold up. So the fact that they, they went this way should tell you everything you need to know about his, his uh, medical condition. Well, yeah, the, the funny. Well, real quick, I just want to chime in. The funny thing that I'm glad you mentioned that, I mean, is that he's played 85.6% of the games in his career in general in four years. He only missed, like, the big bulk of the 15% of the games that he missed in his career were just this season, so that's why it's on the forefront of everybody and talk about the injuries and injury-prone. But, like, when you look at his career, he was a backup, played big minutes this year, but he, he's played 85.6% of his games during his career, so it's not like the guy is every year periodically missing games. He played most of, if not all, of his first two seasons in the league and then he had the two injuries the past couple of years. So the injury is there, but I, I think that people play that up a little bit as well. well I, think, I think people probably do play it up a little bit uh, with the injury history, but I do also think, in, in my uninformed opinion, that that must have played a part in wanting the full five years and not wanting to take the qualifying offer and rolling the dice over the next year. He must have a little bit of, hey, I'd rather just have going the full five years and just stay in Phoenix, even though uh, the Suns signed Isaiah Thomas and they want to keep going to Dragic and it's not going to be his show to run, I, I, I still think uh, there was a little bit of that, that injury history that played a part in Bud Sill wanting that full five years. Uh, this is what I'll say about that. I don't, uh, definitely when you compare a qualifying offer to a long-term deal, yeah, absolutely. Because even if he was the 100% clean bill of health, you're still taking an enormous risk when you turn down a long-term deal to play out one year. The reason they wanted five years was they wanted a type of deal that separates him from the rest of the market. That's, mm-hmm. that's the difference. Kyle Lowry got 448. I got to get something that shows that I'm better than Kyle Lowry. And it's not just more money, it's more years. It's something, you know, that's what we're going to see more and more as the league goes on. The status symbol is going to be that five-year deal. Because everybody's getting four-year deals. Only select handful of people will get five-year deals now. And, and that's going to be a status symbol. And, 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 and again, if your whole summer has been about my client is worth max, my client is worth max, my client is worth max, you know, taking the five years and 70 million makes it sound a lot closer to that max number of five years 80 than, you know, taking 448 with an opt-out after three. Which I, as I said, is a better deal, actually, for him um, because it gives him an opportunity to go ahead and capitalize again. So you think then that, and well, I'm going to read into your words and we'll see if you agree with me. You think then that they were going for the win this summer saving face by getting that five years rather than the smart long-term play? 100%. 100%. And, and, the, and not the proof, but something that puts a lot of weight behind that is you should, I tweeted this, LeBron James tweeted the Instagram photo of, of Bledsoe signing the deal, and, and his comments are, yo, congrats, I'm glad my little homie got the money, whatever. And then the last thing he says, yes, we know what we're doing, huh, Rich Paul? And, and to me, like, yeah. I started, like, that opens the whole Pandora's box about LeBron James, number one. The whole, yes, we know what we're doing, indicates that they're very conscious about the court of public opinion. Meaning... Again, if you think the 448 was, a, was an opt-out after three, again, that's a smarter play, but in the court of public opinion, oh, he said you're going to go get the guy next and you didn't get him next. You know, you got him, oh, you got shafted and some had you over, on a, over a barrel. 
And then that opens, like we talked about months ago, that opens a floodgate to all the other agents to hit up Christian Townsend, to hit up whatever kid they're going to try and snag in the 2015 draft and say, why are you with these guys? They couldn't even get Bledsoe Max in the summer where Gordon Hayward and Chandler Parsons got in their, in their, in their sleep. They don't know what to do. So, so, and even though that's, that's an incorrect assumption or an incorrect uh, uh, charge yeah. that agents would be making, it doesn't matter. It's a compelling argument to young, young kids that are like, well, yeah, you know, he got 448 when he should have got 70 or 80. Uh, now, they've kind of insulated themselves from that. And again, LeBron's statement kind of indicates, yeah, we were worried about that kind of stuff because we were hearing people chirping about Rich Paul doesn't know what he's doing. Which falls in over his head, et cetera, et cetera. But there is that. Then there's the other separate thing about we. Oh no, homie! I thought this is just your agent. I didn't know you were like, <laughs> the pom poms out like that. I mean, so what are you? Are you Bledsoe's friend, or are you Bledsoe? Is he is he a friend, or is he a client? And and but that's not really a, a discussion for the Suns podcast. I think it's uh, more of an NBA general topic. Well, that's okay. Uh, let's just talk about before we go back to the Suns. Let's talk about Rich Paul uh, for a little bit. Do you think this? This was his first contract negotiation for anybody besides LeBron James. Uh, that was successful. Of course, he just took the qualifying offer for, uh, I think it was Kevin Serafin this summer. And uh, so this was his first successful non-LeBron real contract negotiation. Did he, win, did he actually win points, or uh, has he just saved a little bit of space? Uh, well, I don't, you know, Dave, that's a hard one. This is one that no one can answer, because we'll never know what his true feelings were. You know, they may have sat in that room and said, look, guys, 448 with an option on the fourth is a good de- is a great deal. That's what we should be going for. But if we do that, like, you may have won, if you did that, you may have won the Eric Bledsoe battle in the long run, but did you hurt your overall agency in the, in, in the, in the long run if you took that deal? Uh, and that, that's, that's kind of like where I, I've kind of held off on bashing Rich Paul throughout the summer because I get it. I get the dilemma they're in. The best deal possible in the long term is not necessarily a good business move as far as the longevity of their business venture beyond Eric Bledsoe. So in this sense, you know, it, it was almost like, look, we're going to take an L on Bledsoe, even though it won't appear that way, because it's better marketing for our firm for him to take a five-year, $70 million deal. And, and yeah. but whether whether they actually thought that way or they were dumb enough to think, oh, five years seventy is better than four forty eight, even for Bledsoe, we'll never know that, right? That's that's something that you know they, you know, they'll never obviously divulge that to the public. Okay, um, okay. So moving back to the Suns a little bit, um, let's talk about the twenty fourteen fifteen season first. Let's not talk about future contracts. Um, in twenty fourteen fifteen. Um, how do you see the Suns backcourt rotating and do you see there being enough minutes for everybody? I think there's going to be enough minutes. Uh, if you look at it, you've got 48 minutes at point, you know, 48 minutes at, at uh, shooting guard. So you're talking about if you get 32, if Dragic and Bledsoe both get 32 minutes, which is solid. That's 16 minutes a piece at that position that's what those says another 32 minutes really for Thomas. Now foul trouble and uh, you know hot nights for someone else dictates different things so there should be enough minutes. The bigger issue is will there be enough touches? Um, and, and I don't know that. Obviously last year I was skeptical about them being enough touches to be the two of them 
and I was wrong. And 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 I said, you know, the, the main thing was that I didn't realize or I didn't I didn't give enough credence to the fact that both Bledsoe and Dragic had played off of all significantly in their career. Dragic alongside Steve and alongside Lowry, Bledsoe alongside Chris Paul. Isaiah Thomas doesn't have that. He, he's coming from a situation where he felt he should have been the starter in Sacramento and he got messed over uh, and it basically was not appreciated for his talents. And so, and a lot, a big thing for him in Sacramento was, I want to start next year, which is why they didn't want to pursue him, but I guess uh, to, to keep him on the team. So now he comes to Phoenix and he's definitely not going to start. So you already, if you're Isaiah Thomas, I already made a sacrifice. I'm not going to be a starter. Am I also going to make a sacrifice of not getting as much shots as I'd like? Uh, because really, out of the three of those guys, none of them I don't think we, we classify as a Jose Calderon, Steve Nash, I just want to pass the ball and see other guys flourish. They're all guys that are point guards that derive, their strength is derived from scoring the ball. Uh, you know, in different ways, but at the end of the day, they all have that kind of mentality when they step on the court. So is there enough touches to go on to three of them? And even if there are, do guys like Gerald Green tout because they're not getting as many shots as they did last year? Because you had an Isaiah Thomas, he's just going to get more shots. You know, are guys like the Morris twins, are they going to be cool not getting as many shots as they did last year? Uh, and and those, those are kind of like the ripple effect uh, things that you think about down the line. Now, in my uh, amateur opinion, I'm thinking the Morris twins are probably less going to be less negatively impacted because now they don't have uh, Channing Frye taking minutes. So I think they'll probably be okay. It's really just going to, and it's really probably just going to be a supersized version of last year uh, in that there's always going to be the two score first, pick and roll, drive or kick point guards out there at once on the two-pronged attack. And and now it's going to be about who can make those three-point shots on the, on the weak side and and uh, with the spacing in there, I think, you know, it's just if everybody comes back and has similar years, I think it'll, I think it'll work out real well uh, for everybody but maybe Gerald Green. And I think uh, Gerald could find a spot for himself at small forward, uh, backing up or taking, you know, rotating in and out with P.J. Tucker. Uh, but then they need Tucker for his defense and all that. But still, I think between Tucker and Green, those are the guys who are going to be squeezed the most. I think the thing you're going to have to, uh, first of all, we'll see, I think, a lot more T.J. Tucker at power forward this year. Uh, they're going to have oh. super small lineups. Um, and I think uh, Daryl Green is definitely going to, it would, not be surpri- it would not be surprising to me if Daryl Green was the odd man out, uh, not only in terms of playing time, but in terms of at some point he's not here anymore in Phoenix because, I mean, he, last year, I don't know if you like, last year there were plenty of times where he was salty about not getting enough touches or shots, minutes or whatever. And that was, that was, I mean, everyone else was like, oh, he's having a great year. And here's a guy that on many nights he was upset about, about, you know, his involvement in the offense. So I don't see how adding another score, uh, helps him in that, in that regard. That's interesting, saying, talking about P.J. Tucker, power forward. That's a natural fit for him because that's how he played over in Europe and in college. And, and so he's just got the height issue, obviously. But, um, but yeah, that's a, that's a natural small ball fit there next to maybe a Plumlee or a Lern. Uh, or even Marcus, or Marquise Morris, you know, and he played, Marquise Morris played five a lot last year as well in, in late in games, uh, with Channing Fry. 
out there. So, I mean, uh, okay. I got I to ask, um, and the answer may not be what Suns fans want to hear necessarily because looking at the team and the construction, the biggest thing in the summer to me was how does this team get incrementally better? Because that's got to be the goal. This team was on the verge of the playoffs, just missed it. We're still going to be a seven or an eight seed and probably you know put up a good fight against a championship caliber San Antonio OKC team. That's where they were, though. That's the reality of it. They were the darlings of the NBA, but they were you know uh, outside looking in, really good team that didn't make the playoffs. Did this team get better in your estimation from not just necessarily a wins and loss standpoint, but chemistry, just the the team geometry is a term that's been coined over the past couple of years. Did did this team get better in your estimation? I don't think they got better from, from a chemistry standpoint. I think they're going to miss Channing Fly for two reasons. One, uh, and, I, and I talked about this uh, a little bit when we were talking about Kevin Love to Cleveland uh, on, on ESPN uh, weeks ago when the trade ended up. Channing Fly is one of those guys in the league that has gravity. He, he has a reputation. doesn't matter what he's shooting that day. doesn't matter what the season stats are. Uh, when, when teams prepare to play another team, you have the scouting report, uh, and they'll have, like, on the individual player stuff, you know, for instance, when we played Utah, on Corver sheet, uh, and I used to prepare these sheets, every third line was, shooter, do not leave him. You know, like to do this. Like, the shooter, do not leave him. Defensively, even when we switch to the defensive part, when we switch to shooter, do not leave him. There's, there are guys in this league who have that reputation. Doesn't matter what they shoot on the season or in that game, they have that reputation that I'm a defender. I'm not leaving this dude because he's gonna, he's gonna, he'll, he'll make us pay. And that spacing, that you know, that's a big reason why the team from 12, 13 to 13, 14 had that big jump. Obviously, you know, there were eight new faces and all that, but a lot of it was Channing Fry, like him being out there spaced the court tremendously, and it allowed Dragic and Bledsoe and all those other guys to drive without having to worry about that uh, uh, collapsing defense like that. Without Channing, you know, I know people talk, point to Tolliver's three-point percentage last year, and he did shoot it well last year, but he doesn't have that reputation. I am more inclined to help off with Tolliver than I am on uh, Channing Fry. And, and also, I think it also neglects to mention, Channing Fry was probably the second or third best rebounder on the team, defensive rebounder on the team. Uh, Tolliver is an awful defensive rebounder. So again, that's why I'm saying Watch out! You're gonna see more PJ Tucker at four if he can continue to shoot threes, and re- and obviously he rebounds pretty well. But again, he'll never he doesn't have that reputation either. So I think they'll miss Fly from basketball standpoint. But again, they'll also miss him from a veteran presence in the locker room, someone who speaks and 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 a leader. Because you guys know this, you been down there. Letzel is not a, a vocal guy, and Goron, even though he's come a long way, he's not really a vocal guy. Not like that. Not like pulling guys aside and, and, you know, taking guys out in the locker room and talking to them and young guys that are. So, where is that leadership going to come from? He said it was one of those guys last year for them. Uh, but Channing was another guy. I mean, is it, is it crazy to think that could be a, uh, a Dan Thomas? He's a pretty vocal guy. And, you know, it could, except he's a young guy too, you know, and, and he's a new guy. And if you're the Morris twins and you're thinking about, our next contract, you don't want to hear from that guy, right? You know, you know, like Isaiah Thomas doesn't carry that weight, you know, because because you know they came came in the same year as they did, if I'm not mistaken, right? 2011, yeah, he came in 2011. Uh, yeah. So 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 that that 
that respect factor isn't, isn't the same. Um, so, so he, and by the way, it's not like he was that in Sacramento, right? He, he didn't have that reputation there either. And I'm not, this is not a knock on Isaiah Thomas. I'm just saying the, the dynamics of the team mm-hmm. are basically, he's probably not going to be that guy. He could, but I'm not thinking that's going to happen. Um, so, so you've got those issues there. I think they upgraded, obviously, going from playing Ish Smith to Isaiah Thomas. Huge upgrade. If Isaiah Thomas understands and accepts his role, that I'm the third dude, and not, I'm just as good as these two dudes, and we just share everything. You know, That's got to be very clear to him, that he, he is not on the same plane as, as the two starting uh, guards. He is the backup, which is, uh, I think, a good role for him if he accepts it. But I think the biggest obstacle for the Suns in terms of saying, are they better or worse than last year? It's not even what they did. It's what the rest of the West. If you look at every single Western Conference team that was ahead of them, they made a move to get better. Obviously, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, these are teams that are not in the same status here. These are the, the creme de la creme. But then the Clippers, adding Spencer Hawes uh, uh, as, a, as a stretch big, that's huge. And then Jordan Trumbo over down Carlton is an upgrade. Uh, the Warriors, Livingston, uh, bringing Steve Kerr, I think, is going to make their offense better, more you know, more free-flowing, more uh, imaginative. Uh, Portland, adding Steve Blake uh, as, as, and Chris Kamen, you know, that, that was their biggest issue. Their, their first five was great, and their, their second five was probably the worst in the NBA, counting the awful team, not counting Philadelphia. <laughs> uh, so so uh, Memphis, adding Vince Carter, again, you know, not the shooter that Mike Miller is, but he can do a lot more things than Mike Miller could. And Marcus Hull is going to be healthy, we expect, the whole year. You know, the whole reason Memphis was even in that mix was because Mark got hurt. If he hadn't got hurt, they, they would have been pretty good all year long. <laughs> Dallas, obviously, tremendously better. Uh, Tyson Chandler brings them a, a true defensive impact player. Chandler Parsons brings some scoring uh, and some playmaking on the wing. Uh, Houston, this is I, I, this may be one where you guys can fight back on me on this. I'm in an extreme minority on this one. I think Houston is better than they were last year. Not because Ariza is better than Parsons in a vacuum, but because Ariza does what they needed. They needed one defense. And someone will wing defense and then still be able to hit the three, and Ariza does that. Now, if you look at their lineup, Beverly, Ariza, and Howard, you've got three really, really high-level defenders. That makes James Harden's kind of indiscretion a lot easier to live with. So I think all those teams got better. And then you also have to do with New Orleans. They're going to be a pain in the butt. Uh... Denver, if Alinari and Wilson Chandler and Nate Robinson are all well ready to go, they're going to be a pain in the butt. I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team, but they're, you know, that's not a that's not a dub when you walk in there, and it's not a dub when they come here. Yeah, you don't pencil that in, so you're going to have to fight those ones. You know, pretty much the only team that I, I like I just said, oh yeah, they got definitely got worse was Sacramento because even the Lakers are better than they were last year. They're still not good. Oh, they're still be the worst. They're still be the worst team in the conference. But they're better than they were last year. Yeah, I mean, you you have to acknowledge that. Like if you look last year, they had dudes that shouldn't even be in the NBA, starting and playing lots of minutes. Well, and now, Chris Kamen though, who you just gave credit for being on Portland. Yeah, but Chris Kamen as a starter versus Chris Kamen as a backup is very different. True, right? If I'm, I'm asking Chris Kamen to come in and give Robin Lopez a blow, that's different from Chris Kamen. 
I want to see you and Pal like play the high low. Like this is not that's that's bizarre. Uh, yeah, you know. So so you know that's not to say the Lakers like that's terrible, but pretty much the only team I think took a step back was Sacramento. Uh, by going from Isaiah Thomas to Thompson, I'm still scratching my head over that one. How could they even? I don't know. Right. Maybe so. so, so that's the biggest issue facing the Suns. It's really even internal. That everybody else got better. Now, what we saw last year is one really well-timed injury, and things change. So, if Lamarcus Aldridge goes down, for instance, now, I'm not not to wish ill on anyone. But if Lamarcus Aldridge goes down for Portland, now you have to pull Portland back, right? Now, you know. It's, it changes everything for them. You know, much like Marcus Sol getting hurt changed everything for Memphis. Or if Tyson Chandler went down for uh, Dallas. Or even I'll go as far as to Houston. If Dwight Howard goes down for them, they don't have Oshik anymore to say he's going to come in and keep a, keep a hold them down. So there's a bunch of teams that I think are clearly better than the Suns with one injury, and then that's all better off. So if you're Phoenix, you go out there, you play hard every night because you understand that even though there's a gap. The gap disappears instantly. Yeah, and and like you're mentioning some of those teams, like some of the teams you didn't mention, Minnesota's not going to be a dog. Um, they're not going to be yeah. as good as they were last year, but they won't be a dog out in the West like maybe a Sacramento might be or maybe a Los Angeles might be, uh, Philly, as you mentioned before, and you know Denver. There's, there's going to be that scrum of like four to five teams that I think Dallas might have separated. I think I like what they did this offseason, but you have that Dallas, Memphis, Phoenix, New Orleans, Denver, kind of a scrum where only two of them get to make the playoffs because all the other teams are, are clearing away better than probably the rest of what I just mentioned there. They're in that yeah. tier just above it. And, you know, San Antonio and Oklahoma City being the class of the NBA slash the Western Conference. The Western Conference is just, it's the wrong time to be in there. It's like Jordan right. in the 90s. It's just, it's the wrong time to be a good team right. on the rise in the Western Conference. Absolutely. You know, I'm you're, gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, right on I, I will say one thing first. I would throw Portland in that group. Because I think yeah. last year they overachieved, and nobody wants to talk about that. They started that year really good, and I, I remember because they started like eleven and four or something like that. And I twenty one and four. Yeah, I was gonna say they were they're twenty one and four. Yeah. But I remember that at the beginning, at, early on in the stretch, I said, "I think they're going to make the miss the playoffs," and everyone killed me. But but you know, it wasn't just me. There were a lot of people. All the numbers people basically, when you looked at their different their point differential. Which is the best indicator of future uh, performance? They were they were they were over their win percentage and their second win percentage were two different things. And they felt there was a point February and March where it looked like, oh wow, if things keep going sour, they're gonna they they will fall out of it until they kind of hit a nice little pat. So I would I would Portland definitely in that in that group with all of those teams that you named that are going to be in that scrum. I, I change it you know, with I, Portland. I, I, I'm a little different on them because I, th- I still say they have the best or arguably one of the better starting fives in the league. And it's just that bench. And they've done a good job of tweaking it, but I agree. Yeah, we could throw them in that scrum. That's fine. I'm going to be the contrarian here, and I'm going to say that I didn't like Dallas' additions as well as most people. I just think Tyson Chandler's getting a little bit old and, and rickety, and uh, Ray Felton is their point guard. Uh, no, they got Jameer Nelson, uh the, the Devin Harris, yeah. Devin Harris, they got they got a bunch of dudes. Like, the thing, the thing with Dallas is in Rick Carlisle, you trust when you put together a scrum of guys and you just say, "I want someone to go coach these guys to get the max out of them." Rick Carlisle's been that guy, in my opinion, for almost ten years, maybe a little bit longer. Where you just you kind of assume that he's going to get the best out of guys, whether they're long in the tooth or maybe not the the best overall players in the league. He's going to get the best out of them. 
the other thing I'll say is about Tyson Chandler. Yeah, he's obviously not 2011 Tyson Chandler, but but first and foremost, no matter what metric or, or heuristic you're using, he's better than Sam Dalibert. Yeah, <laughs> Sam Dalibert started and played every game, you know, a lot of minutes every game. He's way better than Sam Dalibert. Like that's that's night and day as far as an improvement. And and beyond just skill wise and, and you know uh, aptitude. He brings like they talk about it right now. He brings a mentality. He 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 is a culture setter, and that's like one of those one of the buzzwords that NBA front offices love. Culture setters, guys like Joe Kim Noah, culture setters. They're not just here. They are going to hold people accountable and make you a better team as a result. And if you look at what Tyson Chandler did when he got to Dallas the first time a few years ago, they said all those same things. And when he got to New York, which had been terrible defensively. When Tyson Chandler got there, they turned into a pretty good defensive outfit. At least that first year. That was when he won Defensive Player of the Year. Because he turned the Knicks into a, a good defense. And that's what he does. That, that's the impact he, he brings. Uh, now, obviously, things did not go right for him in New York. Uh, not from a health standpoint, and definitely not from seeing eye to eye with coaching, with management. He said that as much the other day in the media. Uh, but being in a familiar environment, what we've seen it time and time again, just like Goring, you go somewhere and you come back and you know the trainers, you know the owner, and you, 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 there's a comfort there that makes you, you know, more, you know, and play, allow you to play looser and, and be yourself. And I think Tyson Chandler is one of those guys. He's going to uh, greatly benefit from being back in a familiar environment. All right. Um, okay, so let's uh, swing this back to the Suns uh, a little bit. Let's talk about Goran. So he is on the last year, ostensibly the last year of his contract because he can opt out next summer. He's already said during the World Cup that he would opt out next summer. And the quote he used could be interpreted in multiple ways. The quote he provided was, I'm going to opt out and then I'm going to sign a new contract and be done within within a week and relax. Uh, So we would like to believe that means he's going to do all that with the Suns and not look around. What do you think is going to happen with that, I mean? I think the Suns are definitely on the inside track, especially if they sign uh, Zoran, his brother. Um, and especially if they sign Zoran to a lucrative deal, because then it turns into kind of, uh, you know, what we talked about with the Morris twins, the package deal. I'm worth this, uh, but if you give, you know, shift some of that money over to my brother, I'm willing to take less, because together we're still making the total that we should be making. Uh, so I think they have the inside track on that. I think even the Goron doesn't come. They still have the inside track because Goron does love, love Phoenix here. But he's represented by one of the shrewdest agents in the game, Bill Duffy. He's just not little, not Rich, <laughs> no offense, he's not Rich Fall here. This is a guy who's, who's gone into these negotiations time and time again. And when it comes to what players say and what actually happens in negotiation, if you're a Suns fan, I'll give you a quote that you'll never forget. And let's see, you got a little bit trivia time. This guy said, I'd be an idiot not to resign here. Tim Thomas. Yeah, and then July 1st, you get the phone call. <laughs> $24 million over four years, you have 15 minutes to match. That was the phone call. That was almost verbatim the phone call from the agent. $24 million over four years, you have 15 minutes to match. 15 minutes into uh, July 1. So this would be 9 p.m. July 1, uh, 9 p.m. June 30th, really, our time. 
50 minutes to match 24 minutes. And, and so it goes. And he wasn't worth 24, and, and we let him walk at the time. Uh, but it was, it was tough because it was someone who we thought was a perfect fit and said all the right things. And an offer comes that you can't say no to. Uh, Channing Fry. Now, uh, you know, everyone thought Channing, first of all, uh, he probably won't opt out. And if he does, he's going to stay. He's from here. He loves it here. Uh, Channing Fry left 32. And it was like, oh, we're not matching that. All right, later. You know, and, and again, Channing is from Phoenix. Like, family members coming to games and stuff like that. So, while I believe Goron loves it here, and I think, you know, he'd like to finish his career here, you know, if you kind of play tipsy toe, kind of try to be cute with the contract, and, you know, I said on Twitter today, you know, if I'm the Hornets, I'm doing everything to make sure I can I can put together. Hornets come up and say 16 mil a year, you know, 3 over 48, 50 over 3. You know, hell, they could be getting Marvin Williams 7. They'll get right. more than 50 over 3 if they, if they can swing it. So, you can't afford to. It's almost like uh, uh, buying a house, and you know it's like a it's a desirable house. You you want to be like I don't want to overextend myself here, but lowballing going shoot with the offer might 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 kill you in that in that sense because someone will come in and and snatch it up and in that sense the the Goron quote that you said kind of works against you right uh, I want I want to get it done and I don't want to relax. Well, if I got a, a deal fifty over three over here. And meanwhile, the Suns are trying to give me 40 over 3, you know, or, or something like that. And it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's not that hard of a decision in terms of finances. Because remember, he's going to be, let's see, 86, 28 years old. Is that right? No, he's 29. 28 years old. This 29. Year. 29 years old. This is his last big deal. This is the last big deal that Goran Dragic is going to get. And the next one after that is going to be mid-level or lower, depending on, you know, where the, where the league goes from there. And he made you made he did well with his second contract, but remember most of his first contract went to a buyout. He went to Talos Aramigo or whatever the name of the team is now in Spain. So uh, so so really this the second deal that he had that was the first money he actually made. So now this is going to be the last real money he's going to make in the NBA. He can't afford you know, at least on paper, to, to give up, you know, or to give too big of a discount. But if the offer from Charlotte is 50 and the Suns down for 45, I could see him taking that one. He'll do that. He'll give that kind of discount. But not not if it's not even in the same system. Yeah, and that's... Actually, oh, go, go ahead, Dave. Go ahead, Dave. I was going to say, do you actually... Okay, so uh, if you're in the Suns front office... I don't know how that could ever happen, but if you were, just kidding, I mean, um, what would you, what would you do? How high would you go for Goran? Uh, it depends on how much you pay Goran. If we pay Goran, then uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to use that as a, as a thing because you know, especially you know, they have about four million dollars in cap space. Do they use all, uh, well, just or, under five? Yeah, just under five. Yeah, if they use most or all of that to sign Goran. That's an obvious overpay because. He's a good kid. I think he's an NBA caliber player, but he's definitely not that good of an NBA player. He he plays hard. He's a good defender. He can knock down open shot, but he he's not really a prolific scorer. He's not a playmaker. He's he's just like a good hustle guy, right? So um, 
uh, if we're paying between the four, two of them, yeah, between, between the two of them, I, I think I'd be comfortable paying like eighteen, nineteen. Yeah, I can do So somebody comes with no, they can't come with twenty because well, no, on average, a, possibly. Uh, yeah, on average, possibly, but I think the start, the max we can make, I think, is about eighteen. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So but then that's, that's eighteen to Corin. If you get three to Zorin, so yeah. that goes over. Um, yeah, no, I think if, if it was me and uh, you know, I'm much further from the front office than anyone, but um, I would keep Dragic, and I, I would, I would not totally lowball him. I would give him an offer he can jump at. That's what I would do because he's not going to wait around for three months for the biggest stop here. He's going to want an offer right away, and if he feels comfortable with it, he's just going to go with it. Is my my thought. I think, um, I, think I think I would go if you go north of Bledsoe. You send a message to him. Look, we we obviously value you. We want to make you the highest safe player on our team. Even if it's by five hundred grand, Bledsoe got fourteen. You get you get fourteen and a half. I think that's that's a starting point. If you, you know, the lowest starting point. Or 14, I guess, would be the lowest starting point. You say, you, we look at you and Eric as the, the co-cornerstones of our franchise. If you, if you dip below 14 on average, then it, now you're starting to send a different message to them. Right. And, and, and you're opening the door for someone else to come in and blow him away. Um, you know, once you start at 14, 14 and 15, it's harder for someone to top that and top it enough where it's, oh, it blows, it blows their offer away. Now it's like, oh, we offered 16. Well, 14 and a half versus 15, not a big deal. But if you're saying we offer 12 and someone comes in with 16, now that's a completely different conversation. Yeah, I think, uh, I, yeah, I would be completely shocked if the Suns didn't go at least the blood uh, tone number to start with and just see what happens. Um, yeah. But just like this summer, if I'm the Suns, I'm going to go with the most reasonable starting point, which sounds like 14, 14 and a half, 15, and then see what happens, but don't just jump out there with an eighteen million dollar start. No, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Oh, and that's my guy. That's like someone asked me that on Twitter. Uh, you get a free agency. You think Dragic is going to get max next summer? And I said, hey, that's my guy. But it, I was even I was like, you know, I don't know if I could give you a deal that starts at eighteen million dollars. Like that's just <laughs> that, that that turns into every remember every dollar that you devote towards one person you're basically taking away from someone else um so that's that and in the Suns case maybe that's the other star right because they're, they're still on the hunt to, you know it's a nice little beginning but they need that third guy it's Bledsoe right. Dragic and we thought it was going to be Channel Love uh, last year and the odds didn't work out so who's going to be that next guy it's going to be the third guy to them. And it may be the best among the three and maybe middle or whatever, but someone of that, that caliber who can give them, make them from we're fighting for a playoff seed to we're one of the teams to reckon with. What would you think about a DeAndre Jordan for that? Uh, I don't know. But I, he's not that. Definitely he's not that classification. And would he fit? Would he be a fit on this team? I think... Um, I think this year will tell you a lot how plumly and when uh, developed. Because I'm not saying they're as good as DeAndre Jordan, but are they good enough? 
or they're good enough where we can keep them and they're cheap and not have to pay. Because DeAndre Jordan, look, Gortat got 12 mil. Jordan's going to get, like, Pekovic got 11. Jordan is going to, he's going to get a, a, a pretty penny next summer. Yeah, uh, that's true. That's because that's he's a center and centers get paid. And, yeah. you know, he's got defensive player of the year potential uh, as a center. So, it's tough to to uh, to kind of say, oh, well, I'm not going to pay him that much. But at the same time, uh, if you pay him that much now, again, you're still in the same boat. We still need that other guy <clears throat> to, to be like a, um, a a star kind of caliber player on both ends of the floor, and we don't have that, and now we don't have the money to go get it. So I, I'd hold off on DeAndre Jordan. It's nice, like that. Plumlee is a really good rebounder. I think he's a decent defensive player. I think he's got confidence issues, but I think, you know, as he gets more familiar and more comfortable, that should go away. Uh, if I can get Plumlee for, you know, like seven, which is not out of the question, you, you know, you, you're, isn't that better than paying 18 for DeAndre Jordan or whatever he's going to be uh, going right. for? It's just, it's, it's, not, it's not that he's better than DeAndre Jordan or even as good as, it's just that now I have 11... Some eleven million dollars to spend on something else. Yeah, hey, let's talk about that. No, go ahead, Chris. Well, I, well, I a, yeah, time. just a couple of like little mini takes on what you guys are saying right there. And then I have I have a question that was the main thing I wanted to ask. I mean, from a front office perspective, is you know Zoran Dragic to go back to him. He's not the the Chris Smith to Goran's J.R. Smith. Like he's an NBA player, no. like you were saying. Like yeah. he's a guy that's not. It's not going to be. Hey, we're bringing him on as a you know a pat on the back to Goran to try and get you to stay here. He's a legit basketball player. And a couple of years ago, we well, most people thought he was an NBA player. He just didn't make that jump and come over. Um. So so there is that with that. I don't. I don't think he was ready a couple of years ago. I think <laughs> now he's 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 ready. I, I, I could have seen him being a guy that you, I mean, draft eligibility out the window, but he's a guy that maybe a couple of years ago you could have potentially just taken as a second-round pick and developed through the D-League or through a year in Europe. I, I, I think you're right on that, but I think he's a guy that was at least an NBA radar caliber player, you know, could have could have yeah. at least been a serviceable 15-man roster guy. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then and to, to go to the question that I have there for, for you, uh, or the last thing that I want to say is what, if you do bring Goran in for that $18 million that you guys were saying, like just kind of that round number of a max deal, you're talking about $38 million of your cap on a yearly basis being dedicated to your, your point guard rotation. Granted, Goran and, and Eric start together, but your three point guards will be eating up $38 million of whatever the cap ends up being with the new TV deal will be bigger, but it's still $38 million with those three guys, essentially one position. Um I mean, I mean that's but that but that's not essentially one position. That's two. Yeah, it, that's it, about forty percent of. Uh, well, no, it's a little over fifty percent of a seventy million cap, which we already know the cap is going to go up about that far, and it'll be eighty million in a couple of years. And if that's the case, then you're you're spending less than half on forty percent of your minutes. Yeah, forty percent of your lineup. So I actually think that's a reasonable number. Yeah, when the cap goes uh, up, it definitely is. Right now, it would be insanity if, like, if this happened yeah. last year, this year, you know, that it would be insanity to have, you know, f- you know, fifty percent of your cap, sixty, seventy percent of your cap dedicated to forty percent of your production on the court with those two positions. Well, I, I think, I think, I think. First of all, I think they like. I think we have to stop saying it's the point guard. Like that's their guard. That's their guard. And if you if you sign we sign Bledsoe, if you sign Dragic, you're basically saying this is my one and two, this is it from here on out. And just like no one's talking about, uh, you know, no one was Thompson and Steph Curry. Oh, you're tying up X amount of million. 
because that's their backcourt. And Bradley Beal and uh, John Wall, that's their backcourt. This is Chinook's backcourt, presumably, unless they have different ideas. I think, uh, first of all, you're right, uh, um, Chris, in the, in the short run, it could hamstring you because the cap hasn't gone up yet. We expect it to go up, but we also have heard rumbling that then they want to see if they can smooth it out so we don't get a huge jump. So it becomes a more gradual increase, you know, maybe, you know, hold that money in escrow or something like that. So to plan as it, oh, it'll be $80 million. You want to watch out for doing that. You want to definitely leave yourself flexible enough uh, in case it doesn't, in case it just remains flat for whatever reason, you know, who knows. Market might crash again. So you, you definitely don't want to, you know, out in terms of planning. Uh, but even if that happens, the guy to go is going to be blessed. Uh, excuse me, is Thomas. Because here's a guy who some people in the league think he's a starting caliber player. He's making only about six, you know, six and a half million or whatever. And it goes down. Uh, his contract goes down in, in value every year. So. He's going to be actually very tradable. And when, again, when you have less on the pockets, you're probably better suited having a bigger combo guard, right, than having another little scoring guard. Like, I'd rather have, I, I, for some reason, this is always the name that comes up in my mind, even though he retired a long, long time ago. Aaron McKee. If I have Dragic and Bledsoe, my third guard, I'd want to be Aaron McKee. He's big plays, he can guard either position. You know, you can hit a uh, uh, spot on jump shot. And, and you know, he's not, he knows his role. He's not going to rock the ball about touches or minutes or any of that stuff or shots. So that's who ideally I'd want as my third guard. And and if that's the case, I don't mind, again, paying Bledsoe and Dragic that much. Uh, uh, because, again, I think we have to we have to stop calling them point guards and just call, start calling them guards. Yeah, as much as Dave says I can't do this, I completely agree with you guys right there. I was I was wrong in my wording on that. I did the backcourt of the forty percent that that makes much more sense. I was I was actually wrong on my take there, Dave. You you guys are very much in the right on that one. Um, and I can do that. I can admit what I'm wrong. People don't think I can, but I can do that. Uh, but no, to to go back to it, my question. And I think this is actually a really important question in regards to the way the Suns are building things and kind of the foundation of this front office, which people need to remember. This is one and a half years in the making right now. It's they're they're not even two full years together of work working together and putting together this franchise from an organizational structure. How important of a message is it to current players, future players, and the franchise as a whole that they are doing everything they can, at least with Bledsoe and then we'll see with Goran, of taking care of their own and keeping these guys, keeping their quote-unquote stars in-house and not letting people leave, not letting people get traded. And they're, to the, for the most part, P.J. Tucker, Eric Bledsoe now, and then we'll see what happens in the coming years with the Morai and with uh, with Goran, but keeping their guys in-house and taking care of their guys. Yeah, I think I think that that was a big part of it, actually, uh, as far as the push to keep Bledsoe, uh, not only because of the the perception that Robert is cheap, uh, and the perception that the Suns are uh, you know having whatever, but also from the sense that a uh, you know Bledsoe obviously runs with LeBron, and that's a really influential dude, and if you sour that relationship. You know, a lot of guys, particularly younger players in the league, they look up to LeBron, they ask him for advice and stuff like that. Hey, man, I'm thinking about going to Phoenix. No, I don't go there, man. We ain't about to that, I mean, that can kill you. That can kill your franchise right there. That, uh, a throwaway comment like that. So they definitely didn't want to be on that backside. I mean, even if Brooks was left, 
you wanted it to be like an amicable, like, oh man, man, best of luck to you. Thank you for your service. You didn't want it to be like the way it looked like it was heading. Like, this dude right. wanted, and that was, that was the thing I was most comfortable about. Robert Sarver going out in the media and say, oh, we made a great offer. I don't understand. And saying exactly what the offer is. Like, this rubs people the wrong way. It, it looks like you're trying to, to smear him and his representation and make them look bad. And you may win the negotiation or whatever or be right, but in essence, you really hurt yourself. Uh, so definitely that was very important for them to get this done because that, that massages that away. And especially, I think, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, when when you're run by an agent, you know, Ron Daddy was an agent, sometimes I think you, because agents don't have uh, a view of, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like how you affect the ecosystem, right? Like the butterfly effect. Like, oh, I killed the yeah, butterfly. Yeah. So, so they always look at transactions. They tend to look at transactions as like, hey, I gotta get my guy. Paid. Oh, we're done. He got paid. All right, next negotiation. Or if we link, we're linking again based on negotiation. And sometimes you do have to take an L on on the money to for the betterment of, like, everything. Like, so, again, for Bledsoe, they took an L on the money. They thought he was worth 12. I said he was worth 11 and a half. They ended up paying him 14 a year. I said 13. And up, what's that? I was, I, we had that debate, too. I said 13 when this all started. That was the ceiling I would oh, go with him, yeah. yeah. So they, they paid him 14 and they gave him a fifth year, which, which really was, you know, uh, un, un, unexpected. So financially speaking, that's why when we started with it, you know, PR wise or whatever, you look at one guy, wanted five and eighty, and he went down ten million dollars and he got his fifth year. The other side wanted forty eight and they went up what's that, twenty two million dollars? Right? Well with the fifth year, but yeah, basically each side moved two million a year. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. In terms of averages, but still in terms of committed dollars. That's, that's yeah, the yeah. It's the guaranteed salary. They, they went up $22 million in guaranteed salary and locked themselves in longer. Uh, and that's so, the only $3 million short of the biggest contract Sarver has ever given out. Yeah, but that's, that's misleading. You know, I saw someone say, oh, $3 million behind the Amari deal. And the Amari deal with capital like $60 million or 40, 47 or something like that. So I think that's misleading. I think Robert gets a bad rap, to be honest. It's not that he's cheap when it comes to paying players. It's just that you got to learn to pick your battle. Like, is this the one we're going to handle on? So with Amari, that was definitely one you wanted to handle on. The second, the, the one he got from New York. The second, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely one you want to handle on, yes. But with Bledsoe, was this one to handle on? You know, could they have done 570 earlier in the summer? Probably, I think. Maybe, maybe not at the beginning. He definitely wasn't going to do it at the beginning. But probably by August. They probably got could have got five ten. I know. Oh, we haven't talked to him. You can you can make it known, like, hey, we'll, we're willing to do a fifth year. Let's talk about money. And I, I think that that would have gotten something done there. Um, but again, water under the bridge. The kid got his money. He's happy. His agent is happy. His other agent who plays for the Cavs is happy. You know, uh, so so that's all water under the bridge. You 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 miss that and. Again, six months from now, no one's going to remember this. Uh, unless, of course, Butto and, and Isaiah Thomas had each other's throats. Then that's a different <laughs> issue. Yeah, okay. Um, swinging back to the, 
the team a little bit. Let's talk about the Morris twins. So uh, they're both restricted free agents next summer. They're kind of a, well, they'd like to see themselves as a package deal. Uh, one is separating himself from the other in terms of Markeith uh, turning out to be a better player than Marcus, like the Suns always thought he would anyway. Um, but what do you do with them next summer? Or do you next are- fall by October 31st? I, I don't do anything this fall. I don't do anything. I think fall extensions are for home run deals and next guy. Gary Dudley was a home run deal. $4.25 million, $4. million with bonuses that at the time were unlikely given where our team was. You can't pass that up. Or, again, next deal. Uh, so, Amari Scottmeyer, you know, coming off of his rookie scale contest. No-brainer. Give him that. Give it, give it all. Other than that, like, because I've seen it, man. Like, we gave Boris nine a year. That was too much. Right. Too much. We gave LB, you know, a great six deal. A year. Yeah. yeah. Six a year. And at the time, it was starting at like For a six and a half a year, that was good. Yeah. So, 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 so it all depends. But to me, those, those are the things I look for. Are we getting an absolute smoking deal? Below market value deal? Or is this guy, Max, guy, let's just lock it up right now. Let's not play any games. Um, and so the more things look like they're neither of that. They're going to want every penny that they're worth. And they're not worth max, right? So now, now when you start coming into, okay, so how much are they worth and all that? There's no rush, right? Why, why negotiate against stuff? Especially, you know, we're restricted. Let's say you do fall. Let's say you can't get enough of them. They're restricted. You have all, you have all the leverage. We saw that already. So no reason to paint yourself in a corner, uh, getting something done. I mean, you talk, you, you, you do your due diligence, but I wouldn't rush, but I will say this. They are packing deals. Because you've seen them when they're together, and you've seen them when they're apart. Those are they, that's just how they are, man. And <laughs> I have, I have, I have twins now. I don't, I didn't, I kind of got it before. Really, I have twins now. I get it because when they're apart, even though when they're together, they fight all the time. When they're apart, they're like listless and you know, like, yeah. you know, lonely and all that. And we saw that. Yeah. So, so, so I, I think they are passionate now. The way you get them. Is like I said, what you do with the Dragic brothers. We'll pay Marcus more than he's worth, and he'd get an open market. But, Marcus, you gotta come down a bit. You gotta come down. And together, you guys will make what you probably think you're worth. Anyway, the problem is, I think Marcus is worth, Marcus thinks he's worth as much as Marquise is then. I don't know, yeah, does, he know, does, he know, does he know that Marquise is a better player? <laughs> you think he knows? I don't think he knows there's a difference. Because here's the thing, besides the whole brotherly kind of natural brotherly competition, Marcus is a more skilled player. But Marquis has a natural position and a, and a role that he fills. And that's what makes him a better NBA player because you know exactly what, where he fits in a rotation or what positions he like. Marcus, like, is he a three? Is he a four? If he's a three, he doesn't really, you know guard very well if you, you know you're poor you're a little overmatched sidewise and all that and, and you kind of like you kind of fit him in whereas Marquise you know he's a power forward you know he's a power forward and 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 again because of ironically because of his lack of skill so Marquise if you ask Marquise to get you a shot it's either going to be a catch and shoot or a post up right Marquise right. can catch and shoot he can post up he can put the ball on the floor he can you know, drive to the rim he can pull up from mid range 
Yeah, the two off and just pulls up to mid-range. But that's what I'm saying. On paper, it's like, oh, wow, you can do all these things. And obviously, he's better for that than just go back to the basket or, or face a dump shot. But the difference is the guy who can only do two things, he knows exactly what to do when the situation presents itself. Whereas the other guy, what am I doing? So like you said, I'm pulling up a mid-range. Well, that wasn't the right decision in that particular scenario. And and decision-making becomes a bigger thing. And so decision-making is easier for Marquis, easier for Marquis to be the better player. Um, but when you look at it again from a skill standpoint, Marcus should say, like, I'm better than this bum. Like, of course, he doesn't think his bum is a bum. But <laughs> in that sense, but I'm better than Marquis. What are you guys talking about? He's way better than me? You're saying he's worth $8 million and I'm worth two? Come on. Like, I don't know if he, if he gets that. Like, he's a two, two and a half million dollar player. His brother is eight, seven, eight, nine million dollars. So to keep Marquis, you'd have to give Marcus mid level. Uh, not mid level. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. So that, I would, that, yeah, that's what I, I would I would look to have them combine for about you know, eleven. Combine for eleven. Yeah, that'd be a good deal. Yeah. So, I was so you say I'll give I'll give combine for more than that. I'll give Marcus four or four and a half if you take seven. Okay. Something like that, and Marcus is not worth four and a half. Again, this is. Using today's cap yeah. and today's comps and all that, make sure the cap's eighty million dollars, and that's a different story. But that's why I said it's another reason why you wait because <clears throat> you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So what you're saying there is we need to find a way to get Mason Plumley over here, so that way mm-hmm. Miles can take a discount, and we can just we can just kind of <laughs> keep this cycle going in terms of discount younger brothers, little brothers. Old, is, Miles is the, the older is, brother, but <laughs> kind no, of working here's that. A, here's a question for you: Is, is Mason better than Miles? I think so. I was just going to ask you that. I was going to ask that. I, I think so. I mean, just from a standpoint of what he showed that he can do when he's around other talent, I think that he's... I mean, but then again, Miles hasn't necessarily had that opportunity to play around more talented guys overall like Mason did, not just this summer, but with Brooklyn. Like, Brooklyn had a more overall talented team than Phoenix, You most people would say and agree with. They were older and longer in the tooth, but they had more overall talent around them. I think Mason, when you put him around a bunch of talented guys, just let him go run and jump, block shots and dunk, I think that he can be more productive than Miles. I think I think Mason has a higher upside. Yeah, definitely based on you know his, his collegiate uh, experience. Um, but I think again, same thing. Miles knows exactly what he needs to do on the court, and that's a huge advantage as far as knowing who you are. You know, Mason at the end of the day, <clears throat> he's not a, a star player. He's he's basically going to be like his brother. If the the projection is he'll be better than his brother, but it's still the same type of player. What do you do? I set hard screens and I roll hard and he throw it up over the ring and I'll dunk it on people and uh you know, and uh, I rebound really well. And defensively I, I will be an average uh player. Uh I think about things like if Miles played alongside Kevin Garnett. Like what kind of defensive player would Miles be right now? If Garnett was his mentor. Yeah. You know, that's just like that's like a PhD right there, so so uh, I I don't know you know I, 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 it's funny though because I always think about that like do people realize how good I don't think people think people follow and follow the Mason and I don't think enough people recognize how good Miles is. Now it's interesting that the Suns uh, basically now are going to be um, starting Marquise and Miles, who are the brothers who are a little bit less talented than their sibling, but they know their role better. Yep. And so they'll be better NBA players, potentially. Yep, absolutely. 
Who am I? That's the biggest question. You can answer who am I correctly. You're in the league for 12, 15 years. All right. Well, cool. Well, that's all the questions that I have. Um, Amin, do you have questions for us? Yeah, man. Are you going to print your apology? Man, you guys are right side of the sun. We're just so antagonistic towards Bledsoe and Rich Paul and all those guys. You know, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You're delusional, that or that. Actually, I mean, I know he didn't get to his 80, but... And I know, and I know, I, I said on this podcast, I think that he took a worse deal than and he, he pursued, you know, a different uh, path. But I think, yeah, I have to at least give them credit that they they got what they were looking for, even if what they were looking for wasn't wasn't necessarily the best thing. Well, two quick uh, things on that is one, I, in terms of like Eric Bledsoe, the only thing I criticized with Rich Paul was that your job as a restricted free agent, agent of a player is to go out there and find a deal and get your player a deal. That way it, you know, forces your team that you have to, you know, pony up and match. That, that's restricted free agency 101 for an agent. He didn't necessarily do that. I mean, we don't know. He didn't, we don't know the nuances and behind the scenes, but on the surface, it looked like he didn't go do that. He just kind of sat back and said, hey, sons, we want this, give it to us, and didn't really use restricted free agency. And two, I think I was probably more critical of the Suns than I was Bledsoe and Rich Paul during all this. So that's that's my uh, my redaction. That's my apology okay, there. Okay, so there. Now, that, now that Chris has extracted himself from the profile <laughs> that Amin described, uh, I guess it's down to me. To it's all you. The, uh, yeah, it's all me. Um, you know, I, I do think that the Suns offer was fair at 448. Bledsoe has not yet proven that he's better than Kyle Lowry or the other guys who are making who are making eleven, twelve million dollars a year. But I also always said that in terms of that's a fair starting point, um, but, and I expected the Suns to go up. Although I expected it to be in the four forty four fifty four range, fifty six range, which is right around the dollars per year Bledsoe ended up getting. And uh, but I do think that yes that Rich Paul does know a little bit more about what he's doing than I gave him credit for because by waiting this long, they did get that fifth year out of the Suns, even though there is a little bit of a concern over health and all, maybe more so in, in my opinion than uh, years of me. So yeah, they they know what they're doing. They got what they wanted, pretty much. They must not have thought, they, I, I can't imagine they really thought he was going to get maxed. Uh, so yes, they got what they wanted at 570 and, and more power to them. I think I think the important thing to realize is I think first of all he he got a max offer somewhere else the Suns would have matched that. So really, while we talked about four forty eight was what he was worth or what the amount of money worth, I think the Suns would have done four sixty three. Right, but they exactly. just, they wanted they wanted to so like Chris said they wanted someone to go ahead and set that mark. They didn't want to jump ahead of the 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 horse. And set the market themselves. So when when it came to 570, which is basically an extra year on top of 456, they're still kind of like looking at it. Well, that's a saving because even if you got them at 456, uh, that was seven million dollars less than 63. That uh, when he come off that deal, he'd be worth way more. Uh, unless yeah. of course he falls completely apart, but we already talked about. It. I don't think his house is an issue. <clears throat> so. So in this sense, it's like, like you know, like McDonough said, like, this is cost certain. You know who is going to be here for $14 million five years from now when the cap will definitely be higher than what it is now. We don't know where, but it'll be higher. 
to face the assume that fourteen million dollars is gonna be a it's gonna be a plus delay. Like I said, Bledsoe was gonna look at this deal in a few years and be like, what was I thinking? I should I should have had the opt out ready. Um, I'm surprised not many not many not many people went after that that fourth year opt out. And, and yeah, I was I was uh, I was really surprised when you brought that up earlier this summer. I mean, I thought that was going to be the ticket. Actually, is you know to find the compromise to to give him that opt out at the lower annual salaries, uh, but he didn't take it. Yeah, and again, that goes back to what what was their goal? What did they want? And we'll never know what they really wanted. We just have to take their word for. I will say this: what they did, what Rich Paul and those guys did, was essentially a game of chicken. And uh, usually, if you play a game of chicken with the Suns, you win. You know, I, like I said, I saw it with Tim Fry's negotiation you know, the first time around uh, when he got this deal that, that he got in 2010. Saw it with uh, uh, Boris Diaw before that. Um, basically, the only, you know, Amari Stoudemire was really the one where the game of chicken happened and, and like, oh, no, no last, or, or Tim Thomas as well. So uh, it's it's a sound strategy, I think. You know, you, you basically see who's going to play first. In this case, I think the Suns did. But again, as we said, this deal is really I don't. It's, it's, it, that's what I love about this topic. It's just it's hard to people want. Oh, someone won, someone lost. Somebody got screwed over in this deal, and this one is so shifting and changing. The Suns overpaid, but they really did themselves a favor in the long run. Uh, you know, and plus they helped themselves out image-wise and, and, and all that. So they really won this deal. But in terms of the way the conflict was pitted this summer, they lost, right? They, they, they had a conflict over these main negotiating points, and Gletzel and his camp won those points. But in the long run, it's like that's kind of... You know what it's exactly like? I know we're running long here. It's exactly like when the owners said we want to have maximum limits on individual salaries. Because they're saying, we're like, I can't believe we're playing, we're paying Jack and Kevin Garnett and all these guys 20 million plus. This thing is out of control. And what they didn't realize was when you pay Shaq 20, 30 million dollars, you're basically paying Cedric Sabalos and those guys two or three, you know, lower money. And when you reduce the, num- the amount of money Max players can make, you're basically still have all this leftover money that you're still spending, you're just giving it to guys who aren't worth it. So now you got a guy like Drew Gooden was making seven million dollars and stuff, you know, as a backup power forward. You know, you got in that situation because you pushed hard for something that was not in your best interest. And that's exactly what this was. Like they pushed hard for something that was not in their best interest and down the line they'll see they're like, Oh man, you know, I wish I wish we I wish we had that up though. Right, right. No, this is this is a great discussion. I appreciate that, and I really think uh, one of the one of the new points I hadn't really considered um, among many uh, that you shared tonight. I mean, is is that the Suns really did end up probably accomplishing what they wanted, which is we're a destination. They started out the summer wanting to be a destination for the top three agents. The Suns struck out early in the summer. LeBron uh, just gave him a cursory head nod down to that in, and nobody else really came to visit. Nobody else showed the big guys, the the fifteen plus million dollar a year guys, didn't show the interest in Phoenix. Uh, and partially it could have been because of Sarver's reputation, or it just could have been the Suns weren't relevant enough yet. One one blip on the radar a year just isn't enough yet. 
Well, now uh, the Suns have shown they're willing to pay the money now, and uh, so they should get a little bit more credit in the future. I, I think that's a that's a very solid point. Yeah, and at the very beginning, uh, I mean, before we let you guys all go here, you said that you say this is a win-win deal, and you say win, you know, kind of tentatively on each side. But let's put it this way. The Suns, essentially, on a per-year scale, they gave away $10 million, and Eric gave away $10 million on the contract. So each, they met in the middle, and this is about as win-win and about as even-handed a deal as you're going to find. Nobody got slaughtered. Nobody lost. Nobody won dramatically. That's rare in sports. You want to see someone win. You want to see someone lose. This one was about as even as it gets. Each each party gave up ten million. There's an extra year thrown on there, and it was essentially win-win. So an, an hour and ten minutes of bantering back and forth to basically say that this was a win-win deal for everybody. Everybody got to go home feeling like they not got one out of the park. This is the best deal. Yeah, this game is rigged, man. But uh, the the Suns made it work. Eric Bledsoe made it work, and uh, that's a wrap. We're good to go. We'll be tuning in. True Hoop Live. You got some fun stuff coming up. Oh uh, yeah, man. Uh, we're still on the Wednesday, Friday, two p.m. Eastern. That's uh, eleven a.m. Pacific. Or I guess I guess we're gonna switch to noon in a couple of days now, right on the clock turn. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, we're, we're we're gearing up. This is gonna be a big season for us because. A lot of things in the works. We're going to have, I think, a podcast to go along with the, the live show. Uh, we've got, uh, I've got a new digital short series that's coming out. It's going to be uh, kind of a minute long. I don't know if you've ever seen Tom Harris show the big, the big number. Yeah. Um, it, it's something like that. It, it's my my take on it. And uh, and you might see me on TV this year. I think uh, I think we're going to be doing some NBA coast to coast this year. Uh, in Bristol, so. Well, I hope you're going to see you at Suns games as well. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. You know, I've um, got to go down there and pay my $7 in the media room. And <laughs> get, <laughs> For dinner, yep. Huh? Yeah, I get my slice of cake and, and my Coke with a bunch of lemons in it. Have Chris look at me with dirty gazes every time I, I walk in. I sit down with my seat with my popcorn and my drink. Chris always looks at me like, I'm a slob. Man, the, the, see, if you've never met Amin or seen him on the the numerous times he's on ESPN, as we just said, we're going to let this podcast end and we're continuing to talk here. If you've ever seen the man, the way he inhales junk food and doesn't retain any of it is just, it's astonishing. It's mind-boggling. It, it just, he just doesn't he's an care. asshole, yeah. Yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't retain that at all. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll definitely be glad to see you there at the Suns games. And uh, yeah, thanks for jumping on, man. And uh, we definitely appreciate your takes and coming on and your banter. Thanks a lot, guys. All right, thanks.